Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is author Tanner Boyle, who joined me to talk about his book, The Fortean Influence on Science Fiction. Charles Fort is an enigmatic character, part researcher, part writer, part philosopher. In the early 20th century, he extensively catalogued any reference he could find made to anomalous phenomena, which he would later go on to write about in a series of books, the most famous of which is The Book of the Damned. His writing includes ideas that would go on to be extensively explored in both science fiction and paranormal research. Things such as cryptids, UFOs, poltergeists, strange disappearances, ancient mysteries, and unusual natural occurrences. Tanner's book examines the work and ideas of Charles Fort, their influence on science fiction, and the writers and editors who included and popularised them in their work, as well as the challenges faced by doing that. Charles Fort is a hero of mine here at Sphere HQ, so it was great to be able to record an episode about him. Enjoy! Hello listeners, me again. Before we get to the interview with Tanner, I just want to point out a slight error that occurs in our conversation. An error made by me, which was pointed out after I initially released this episode. So myself and Tanner are talking about Robert Heinlein, one of the authors that is covered in Tanner's book. And I mentioned that he wrote one of my favourite episodes of Star Trek, the original series. A City on the Edge of Forever. This is a mistake. That episode was actually written by Harlan Ellison. As an avowed Trekkie, I'm slightly aghast that I made that error, but I don't think that it detracts from the interview, so I've left it in. I try to be as accurate as possible in my interviewing when I talk to the wonderful people that come on the show. So apologies for the error. Uh, I still think it's a very enjoyable conversation that we have. And without further ado, here is that conversation. Enjoy. Tana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. To begin with, just tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the work of Charles Fort and some of the ideas that you cover in your book. So surprisingly, I was first introduced to Charles Ford in a uh, young adult fiction book uh, called Chasing Vermeer. And I don't actually remember much about that book itself, um, other than the fact that there's a character reading Charles Ford's low in it. Um, and that part always stuck with me. So I guess from an early age, I was like familiar with Ford. Um, kind of fascinated by unexplained phenomena even prior to that. Um, but that was the first time I like came across his name, stuck with me, especially just the wide variety of things he covered. Um, he sort of always existed in the back of my mind, but when I... I uh, went to college for an English degree. I didn't ever really think I was going to be using Charles Fort uh, because that's not 
that's not something a lot of English programs uh, teach you or even acknowledge. Um, but, but I was lucky enough to have a class on contemporary science fiction. And I noticed some similarities between Fort's uh, sort of philosophy throughout his books appearing in Clark's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, so I started a paper on that. It eventually turned into a thesis, and that thesis eventually turned into a book. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it went. It's interesting to uh, that I was allowed to have Fort in that. I think I always thought you had to uh, pick authors with uh, immediate name recognition in the English field, but um, people have been nothing but receptive to uh, Charles Fort, especially um, people interested in science fiction, things like that. Mm, I, I guess at this point, for those who aren't completely familiar with that name and, and his philosophy and his, his ideas, who was Charles Fort? And when someone talks about something being 14, I suppose, what does that mean? Yeah, of course. Um, so he was a writer in the early 1900s, um, sort of a failed fiction writer, although he had some short stories published, and that's kind of how he made his living early on. Um, but eventually he sort of dove into his own uh, obscure research where he would collect anomalies and oddities and newspapers and science journals, literally just going through the archives at the New York Library. Um, I think he did some research in London eventually, um, but he formed, uh, he formed books around these anomalies. He was originally going to make uh, two books called X and Y, which sound amazing. <laughs> Um, where he's a, he's a little bit more speculative and science fiction-y, um, even more speculative than he already is, um, going so far as to suggest that uh, it, it is like uh, extraterrestrial things. But, of course, we don't have those books. Um, what we know is based on letters with uh, Theodore Dreiser, who is pretty much his only... Uh, line to getting published. Dreiser actually threatened to quit uh, his publisher if they didn't release the Book of the Damned, uh, which was his first book in 1919. Um, and so Fort uh, eventually did get kind of a cult following. Um, su uh, surprisingly, a lot of uh, New York's literati were involved. Uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, Alexander Walcott, Dorothy Parker. Um, you've even got the screenwriter Ben Hecht joining the Fortean Society. Um, and it's come to... His name has become synonymous with, like, the uh, exploration, research of unexplained phenomena. And he covers basically everything in his books um he's he's mostly associated with uh things and animals falling from the sky i think the stereotype is uh frogs falling from the sky as uh as the sort of 
marker of Charles Fort, but he also did like early UFO sightings, lights in the sky, uh, cryptozoology, poltergeist activity, psychic powers, telekinesis. Um, he collected it all. <laughs> and uh, while each of his books kind of has a different focal point, um, there there is just they're just jam packed with things that previously hadn't been kind of collated like this. Um, and he uses them as kind of a thought experiment um, for like how we should be wary of science. Um, he gets accused of being a science basher a lot, but really I think he's just, I don't think he's quite as, He's not, he's not like a flat earther, although some might, although he makes like statements um, playing with the idea of being a flat earther. Um, but I, it's really hard to tell what's tongue in cheek and what's not. And I think for the most part, he's trying to be bitingly sarcastic, which I, I think comes across also in like his very poetic writing style. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that in, in the book of the damned, the damned refers to damned data, which is anything that mainstream science at the time seemed to ignore because it didn't fit an accepted model. Is that essentially correct? Yes, that that is correct. Um, basically, he was he he's kind of a product of his time in that. It was where um, Darwinian biology, uh, things like that, were to the forefront. Um, and people were kind of... The, the term that uh, Darwin's uh, student used, Huxley, was uh, cosmic pessimism, which is the sense that everything that can be known is known or that uh, everything that is unknown will forever remain unknowable. Um, so humanity was kind of, it's like a sense of humanity kind of being stuck in this zenith, but also unable to get further. And I think Fort wanted to call that into question, um, just sort of how much science could explain and how it seemed willing to... Uh, ignore things that didn't quite fit its system and that's that's what the damned were were things they're like outliers things that uh gum up the works if um if they're brought into account um and and most of the time he's he's very wary of any scientist's explanation of something extraordinary being explained away with something mundane Mm. Yeah, especially with things like falls of unusual objects, there'd often be a, a quite bizarre explanation, for example, why fish would fall. They would say, well, a whirlwind picked it up and deposited yeah. it miles inland, even though there was no reports of any such weather. So, yeah. Um, so with your book, well, what are the other key ideas that Charles Fort had that sort of play out in science fiction? Well, I think the main one... Uh, comes from the Book of the Damned. It's this quote where he talks about um, 
the idea that human beings are property or cattle of another thing, another mm-hmm. entity. Um, and I, I think that's something that has come into play in multiple science fiction things, um, particularly Eric Frank Russell's work. Um, his book, Sinister Barrier, is pretty much... Uh, the most Fordian science fiction work ever released. Um, it, it basically takes the we are cattle thing to another level and associates pretty much all of Fort's phenomena with a fictional race called Vitons that uh, feed on humanity. Um, and uh but that appears in numerous other places. I look at Frank Herbert's rat race where humans are used as sort of like um, lab mice for uh, experiments from some greater force. Um, In uh, Fritz Lieber's You Are Alone, uh, it's more indeterminate, uh, but there's still the sense that we're cogs in a greater system. And I I think that's the part of Fort's philosophy that's perhaps lived on the most through science fiction was the idea that everything's connected, almost a sort of panpsychism kind of thing. Uh, And we are at a loss to understand it. And when we don't understand it, we explain it in uh, more mundane terms and pretend that we understand it or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, with his background initially writing fiction, do you think that when he was writing the book of the damned and the other books that he would go on to write, he was still sort of having the same creative imaginative processes but it was just that he was putting them into a a work of non-fiction rather than than fiction. Or as, uh, there's a term you use in, in your book, maybe fiction. Is 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 the book of the dam sort of maybe fiction? And actually, sorry, to be fair, just describe what that is. <laughs> yes, uh, maybe fiction is sort of a new term that I'm playing with um, in the sense that this type of work isn't really examined in literature studies. It's looked at in religion and sociology, but um, it's it's more or less just not acknowledged. In, uh, it's sort of damned itself in uh, uh, English departments. Uh, understandably so, uh, sometimes. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm, I'm using that as sort of a broad term to describe um, the speculative nonfiction, which exists but means something different than what I'm going for, um, that resembles science fiction. Um, sort, of pl- sort of like using our reality as a canvas for um, hypotheticals, um, weird journalism, uh, pretty much the work that Fort did, all, but further on as it's been continued by people like John Keel, Jacques Vallée, um, people like that. And 
I'm 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 forgetting the first part of this question. I'm sorry, Rick. No, no, no. That's that's fine. Um, it was a really long question. I I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think what I was just trying to get your opinion on was with Charles Fort having an initial background writing fiction. Do you think that the ideas that he had that he that he puts down in uh, on paper in the Book of the Damned come from that sort of process. So he's he's writing sort of imaginatively because I know that part of his philosophy is a, an idea of of continuity or intermediatism, where yeah. something is never one definite thing; it always exists in between two unlikely positions. So, with that in mind, I just think: Do you think that what he was doing was sort of taking his style writing fiction but just applying it in a more philosophical way i i think so entirely um maybe fiction actually comes from uh fort's term truth fiction Mm -hmm. uh which is the idea that every truth is painted by a little bit of fiction and there's no such thing as an absolute fictionist um but even in his short stories, he has one that I continually come back to called the Radical Corpuscle, mm-hmm. um, where the main characters are cells within a body, and they begin to suspect that they're part of a larger system. Um, and that idea pretty much never leaves his... Um, his truth fiction or his nonfiction work. Um, but yeah, I think he's, be- he's, like I said, he's being very tongue in cheek most of the time. Um, while his criticism of science probably would remain without that, uh, with that, without that biting sarcasm. Um, I, th- I think he is being very imaginative um, and he's certainly being very flowery a lot of the time in his descriptions of like the, you know, the damned facts as they come marching into science's uh, fortress, uh, mm-hmm. refusing to be ignored. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that, he a lot of his appeal was still just um the fact that he was writing a sort of fictional nonfiction. um i think it was miriam allen deford's it may have been ben hex review actually um where he talks about it being just as thrilling as any like thriller novel <laughs> Um, despite being nonfiction, it's, it still has that gripping sense of a, uh, a fictional story world. Mm, I mean, he does incredibly thorough research in terms of the events that he researches with things like unusual falls of objects. Uh, he definitely put the hours in, in terms of getting that information. Oh, yeah. Um, And apparently they were all written on these little slips of paper um, that he had stuffed in a drawer in some kind of haphazard way. Um, He he was definitely a a fastidious cataloger. Um, And 
was unwilling to ignore even the things that in the succeeding years have been proven to be like hoaxes or, you know, newspapers exaggerating events, which was extremely common. Hmm. How much, um, when the, his work was published, do we know how big a run it got and to what sort of a market, the kind of people that would have been reading his work? Yeah. So I know, I know the Book of the Damned had a relatively um, decent run, um, especially for um, its like subject matter and uh the audience wound up being a lot of um literary figures um and uh eventually science fiction writers um like Edmund Hamilton who's famous for the Captain Future stories um was an ardent follower of Fort um there's some suggestion that H.P. Lovecraft um, read Fort's The Book of the Damned as it's referenced in a short story called The Descendant. And there's just, there's a lot of overlap between Lovecraft's writing and that. So it did have some, uh, it, it wasn't like all over the place in the 1920s, but it did um, have a decent run. Uh, for its subject matter. Mm. So I know in chapter three of your book, you talk about the, the sort of the pulp sci-fi era in the, the 1930s. Was that the sort of time that, that science fiction really started to take on board some of Charles Fort's ideas? Yes. Um, so you do have those early instances like Hamilton and Lovecraft, but it definitely doesn't make the full transition to, as John Campbell called it, a science fiction source book until Lowe was uh, serialized in Amazing Stories. Sorry, Astounding Stories. They have <laughs> some similar titles. Um, <laughs> there probably was a magazine called Amazing Stories as well. <laughs> yeah, there was. That's that's All right. Okay. <laughs> and I mentioned them both so often in this book, and uh, I'm just praying I didn't ever get them switched up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, their serialization and uh, astounding was, I think, where most of it started because um, there, there's a big tendency for. Uh, the sci-fi writers of the forties, fifties and sixties being huge into the sci-fi fandom. Um, So they would have been familiar with Fort's work Um, and with Campbell, I'm under the impression that it was even a desired trait, like Fortean science fiction was even uh, preferred by him in terms of what was submitted. Um, I know that's the case with uh, one of Heinlein's stories, Campbell seemed more inclined to publish it with a title that made clear that it was a Fortean science fiction story. Hmm. Charles Fort, he, he died in 1937, I think. So yeah. was it this era that kept his ideas alive for a, for a better word 
Yeah, I I think that's entirely fair because um, despite his first book selling well, the next three weren't weren't the big hits that well I say big hits which <laughs> they didn't they didn't sell enough to really keep him financially stable. He was still reliant on inheritance and some residuals from short stories and um, the book of the damned. So in the Fortean society that formed under Drazer, um, that may be pronounced Dreiser. Uh, I may be messing up, but uh, it eventually fell into the hands of Tiffany Thayer, who wound up turning it into his own kind of mouthpiece. So even the, the Fortean society wound up uh, sort of falling into disrepair, which is very common with uh, Fortean groups, uh, even into the present. Um, hmm. So by before the publication in the pulps, uh, Fort might have been on the path to be forgotten if he hadn't have been reprinted. Hmm. Not forgotten, but definitely more of a footnote than he is currently. Who are some of the important characters from that era who were sort of writing or producing magazines that preserved these ideas and by telling stories that that kind of included them? Yeah. Um, as I said, uh, John Campbell wound up reviewing uh, either the Book of the Damned or his complete works. Um in astounding and giving them just glowing reviews recommending all science fiction writers to um, use them to get ideas for their stories but even even over at amazing stories ray palmer was also um, doing his own kind of truth fiction thing hmm. with the shaver mystery with uh <laughs> That's a whole other can of worms to open. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, to keep it simple, it was it's it's basically Fort's truth fiction where uh, you're unsure what is what is an exaggeration, what is true, whether it's a hoax or not, whether some of it's true. Yeah. Would you be right to just kind of slightly open the, the can of worms on the Shaver stories? <laughs> yeah yeah sure um so palmer published the writings of a possibly schizophrenic man named uh richard shaver who who had had experiences in the inner earth with uh a group of um evil beings called darrow hmm. uh, i'm not i'm not I haven't uh, made myself uh, comfortably familiar with the Shaver mystery. I do know the basics. <laughs> That's um, cool. But I haven't made the deep dive quite yet. Um, but they were published as fact in Amazing Stories throughout the post-war 40s. And um, kind of to the... Uh, the fandom hated that they were published because they saw them as sensationalistic, not uh, representative of what science fiction was supposed to be. Um, just sort of 
pulp nonsense. And uh, I, I don't really see them like that. I see them as a continuation of uh, Fort's own work where um, the truth and the fiction are sort of, and sort of exist in a gradient that isn't as clear cut as um, some readers might want it to be. Um, but both Palmer and Shaver mention Fort at some point in each of their works. Um, Palmer mentions him as reporting on UFOs before anyone else once Palmer was into the flying saucer craze. And Shaver, of course, says that uh, the, the flying saucers are Darrow ships coming from under the earth, but nevertheless credits Fort with some of his work. Yeah, I mean, because I think are Richard Shaver's stories, are they what Charles Fort would class as damn data? Is it something that if it, if Richard Shaver hadn't gone to Ray Palmer, it would have, Charles Fort would have, found it in a news clipping somewhere anyway. <laughs> I I think that's entirely possible. I don't know if he would have taken Shaver at his word, but if he had have found like a newspaper clipping of uh, someone else reporting on Shaver's experiences, he would have been more enticed to do so. Um, and I, I think that's the case with... Um, I think that's the case with pretty much all unexplained phenomena we've seen since uh, Fort's death. Um, and I, I, I mentioned the sci-fi influence without ever mentioning um, just his influence on like literature of the unexplained in general. Like he's been referenced, cited, writers have mentioned how indebted they are to him. Um, he basically started off a whole genre of literature um, that kind of had a boom in the 70s and 60s, but it's still going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with um, the Shaver stories, they remind me of more recently plenty of guests who phoned into Coast to Coast, for example, or... yeah. Have you watched the Helio series at all? I have, yeah. Those initial emails, they seem very similar. Well, not not in terms of the what they of their content, but someone reporting a quite sort of fantastical series of events. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Helier is probably representative of sort of a new type of medium for the same kind of um truth fiction because it's not it's not fiction but um the filmmakers leave it kind of open to the viewer just how much they're intuiting um how many like how many synchronicities is too many synchronicities you know uh but i i think there's still like there's that thrill of uh, not knowing whether it's <laughs> whether it's fact or fiction, um, and I I think there's just great enjoyment in even for the skeptics to like take take a step back and 
pretend that it's nonfiction for a bit, um, just so they can go on that ride. Yeah, with Hell Yeah, I think it's just it's it's very well made as well. It's, it's presented as a mystery, you know. There's a there's a great story there too. Because spoiler for anyone that hasn't watched it yet, well, a mild spoiler, but they sort of end up investigating something quite different to what's reported in those initial emails. Yes. But for me, it would be great if they'd found goblins. But I, I still think what they end up doing is is really interesting. Yeah. I, I think it's very reminiscent of... Uh, I mean, they even mention how reminiscent it is of Keel's adventure in Point Pleasant. Hmm. Um, you know, you start out looking for Mothman and you, you wind up with Woodrow Derenberger and and uh poltergeist activity and you know like it never goes where you want it to but um it's almost like it's almost like plot twists and the viewer can't help but still uh be interested to know where the next thread will be Mm. going back to ray palmer i know that he published fate magazine and that was the magazine that featured an interview with Kenneth Arnold and popularized the term flying saucer. Yes. Um, so he, he actually started fate because the uh, editors at amazing didn't want him to have flying saucer issues after, um, after the shaver mystery uh, had sort of stained their reputation Although I I think I think in hindsight these people were much too harsh on Ray Palmer, yeah. um, but yeah he did move over to Fate, um, where he was able to talk about flying saucers at his to his heart's content, um, and that that uh, first issue is still an iconic image. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think even there, there's some, uh, there's some overlap between how he sold science fiction and how he sold, um, how he sold, uh, maybe fiction. <laughs> uh, you still got the, you still got the beautiful pulpy cover. Um, the headlines are more like news articles, but they still have that like comic booky popping uh thing to drag the reader in to make them go, to make them like flip through the magazine looking for where that story is yeah definitely i mean in chapter four of your book you talk about some of the editors of magazines like fate and people like ray palmer i mean what were they doing in that time that promoted 14 ideas in science fiction do you think yeah um i i think with uh with the editors it was mostly just with palmer it was definitely more the melding of truth and fiction um with campbell uh he did something similar but he definitely took it a more scientific route. I think they both make interesting case studies because um, despite fans turning on Palmer and still like loving Campbell, 
Campbell had his own like uh like m- like melding of fact and fiction with like Scientology with the Dean Drive uh which was like a perpetual energy device uh supposedly that he entertained and uh eventually fans turned on him for other reasons for <laughs> Uh, being sort of a racist misogynist but uh, these early things didn't really dissuade them and I'm always interested in like like why was it okay when Campbell did it but when Palmer does it it's it's uh it's different and I think it has to do with uh, the sensationalizing uh, Palmer wrapped it up in in a different coat than Campbell did. Um, Campbell Campbell definitely took it as science should explore these things, um, even if you even if you don't think they're true. And Palmer uh, really just wanted a good story out of it. Um, but I I don't see either one as being uh, more wrong or right. Right. Okay. Can you talk to that a little bit more? Just is there a good example of what you're talking about there? Yeah. So Palmer, like a lot of Palmer's uh, critics, uh, just didn't like how uh, the Shaver mystery was uh, misinforming the public um, about how the world is. But I, I don't think it's clear that um people took it as gospel truth i like you hardly hear about shaver now but i mentioned this in the book you hardly hear about shaver now but you still hear about scientology a whole lot Hmm. um because (laughs) because shaver never was taught in schools like (laughs) um it it was i I'm under the impression that the readers knew what it was. Uh, they knew not to take it as gospel truth, but they liked the idea of entertaining that it was real. Right. Okay. I mean, is, is this the same era that um, L. Ron Hubbard was writing his science fiction? Yeah, it's early on. He may have still been hanging with uh, Jack Parsons at this point, but he was to come later on. Uh, and, the original Scientology book was actually compared negatively by one critic as an amalgamation of the Book of the Damned and I think the Morning of the Magicians or something like that. Okay, but I always yeah. found that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, another one of Charles Fort's key ideas is the concept of dominance. Like in certain areas, there'll be a dominant model on, on which all sort of, well, not correct thought, but it's a, it's a model by which you measure how to analyze something like science, for example. So there'll be an era where there's a dominant of religion and, and religion sort of dictates the paradigm by which things were understood. And then following that, yeah. there'll be a a dominant of science. And I think that was the era which Charles Fort said that we were in at the moment and we're still in now. But what will happen next is a, a dominant of wider inclusion. So 
with the science fiction that was being included in magazines like Fate, is that is that people writing to sort of challenge the dominant of science and and aim towards the dominant of wider inclusions? I I believe so. Um, I know a lot in a lot of Palmer's letters, or not letters, but his like letter from the editor. Um, he sounds a lot like Fort, <laughs> uh, <laughs> decrying like um, the fandom pretty much in the same way that Fort would talk about scientists. And I there's definitely some overlap there because sci-fi fandom did want more science-based uh, stories. They wanted scientific fiction. Uh, they didn't want uh, shaver mystery. They didn't want, uh, you know, the, the pulpiest the pulp can offer. But I think Palmer, like Fort, was arguing for a realm of larger inclusion for stories. Um, just sort of, and I think I think even Campbell would agree that um, they just wanted a larger play box for um, science fiction writing to take place in. Um, I mean, that's why he suggested Fort's writers in the first place. Is I don't think he wanted. Um, I don't think he wanted science fiction to get stuck in a rut. Right. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, you dedicate to specific authors. Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein, Philip K. Dick, Robert Anton Wilson. What made you choose those authors for, for this section of your book? Yeah, I... I think um, I started initially with just Arthur C. Clarke and Philip K. Dick, um, but I came to realize that there were some other authors that could have just as much written about them in terms of Fordian leanings. I think what kind of made me go to the four direction was... Um, each of those authors kind of displays Fordian influence in like different ways. Um, Clark is definitely the more scientific minded. Dick is an experiencer who uses Fort um, and other Fordian authors as a way to explain his experiences. And um, Heinlein is sort of an interesting case where he doesn't, his his own personality in fiction seems um, at odds with Fort, and yet, um, in his own life, he he had many uh, Fordian leanings. I'm still trying to find evidence that he was a member of Info. I've heard different things from a million different people. Um, I I still don't know if the an I. I spend the, that was probably the section I spent the most time on was trying to figure out if Heinlein was a member of Info and if the, uh, the International Fortean organization. And uh, there's this anecdote that he got mad that his membership, membership check wasn't cashed because they had hung it on the office walls. <laughs> and I can't find any evidence 
that that anecdote is true beyond like a Wikipedia entry. And I've had some, <laughs> I've had some editors of Info tell me that he definitely wasn't a member, and I've had others tell me that he probably was. Um, and I've had, and there's been other books where he's cited as being a member, and that's an unsighted statement. So mm. I, I've really struggled with that. From what I've heard about Robert Heinlein, it sounds like a eminently likely story. <laughs> yeah, I, I think especially with his um, interest in noetics towards the towards the end of his life, mm. um, his correspondence with uh, Edgar Mitchell, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I was what I was saying was Heinlein is sort of at odds with the other three authors, and Robert Anton Wilson is kind of the almost the perfect Fordian author mm. uh, in that he writes both fiction and nonfiction, bears yeah. similarities to Clark's write or bears similarities to Fort's writing style, and. Um, treads a lot of the same philosophy while kind of expanding upon it for people out there who might not have read robert anton wilson what are the best books to go to if you're interested in reading him yeah for fiction i definitely read the illuminatus trilogy it's just sort of a fun lsd trip of a conspiracy theory fiction book but even that even that has nonfiction weaved throughout it, uh, which is why he makes for an interesting study. Um, it's sort of it's sort of a fun project to go through and see like which cited entries are real and which aren't. Um, uh, as for his uh, his nonfiction in relation to Fort, I found um, oh I can't remember the title. Let me look at my bookshelf. Uh, the New Inquisition, although although it's um, gone sort of under the radar compared to his other nonfiction work like uh, like Cosmic Trigger, um, I hmm. would say that that was the one I was thinking of. Uh, it's Cosmic Trigger. He does reference Fort in Cosmic Trigger, um, and I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there with Fort and Dick in terms of his own experiences. Um, but if you really want to hear him rail against science <laughs> or the scientific, uh, the current state of science as of like 1980 something, um, the new inquisition is really interesting, um, hmm. sort of, um, questioning the very notion that, uh, science can determine what reality is. Yeah, that definitely is interesting. I mean, with these... Authors Arthur C. Clarke, Philip K. Dick, Robert Heinlein, and Robert Anton Wilson. Is it is it basically that they're having really interesting ideas that challenge accepted concepts of how reality works? Yeah, I think I think that could be said. Um, even even he like Heinlein is probably the most surprising one to me, but his concept of world as myth, I think 
went into almost Philip K. Dick territory. Um, and a lot of people haven't gotten that far into Heinlein's um, bibliography because it's a lot of his later books. Um, but he sort of he sort of propounds this idea that uh, the world is someone else's myth. Like by writing, we are creating different um, different worlds. Maybe not in a literal sense, but like sort of like creating different reality tunnels <laughs> through right, writing. Yeah. Um, which was which is surprisingly a lot like some of the stuff from Philip K. Dick's Exegesis. Uh, Robert Heinlein wrote one of my favorite ever episodes of Star Trek. I'm sure you oh. know this anyway. But the City on the Edge of Forever. Oh yeah, really. It got edited quite a bit by Gene Roddenberry, but even with that taken into consideration, it's still a, a fantastic episode. And the in that episode, there's a there's a being called the Guardian of Forever, which is a a big gateway, like a giant donut shaped gateway into the past. And it it makes me think a little bit of of Philip K. Dick's experiences because he had visions of the past as well. And uh, he talks about them in 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 Vallis as well, which is. Yeah. Alice is sort of is semi autobiographical, isn't it? Um, so I can I can see the connections there between those two writers, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, I think an interesting comparison is actually a book like um, Vallis compared to something like Whitley Strieber's Communion, mm. um, where you get a fiction writer that releases a book um, of nonfiction. We'll just, even though Dick wasn't clear that it was nonfiction, he released it as fiction. Some of it was fiction. Um, but I, I think there's still this sense of you see the, you see the themes of their fiction coming through in the experiences themselves. Um and a, a good a good academic to read on that is um, Jeff Greipel, who I am greatly indebted to for my own work. Um, he's written uh, a book called Mutants and Mystics, um, mm -hmm. which is an amazing book. If you could get him for the podcast, I I think he'd be a great discussion. Yeah, definitely. He's he's high on my list to, to, yeah. to have on. I just need to get around to trying to sort it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, I I his notion of uh, the science fiction influencing our world and then experiences influencing science fiction sort of in a never-ending loop is mm. is probably the idea I've latched onto the most with this. Um, and I, I think there's, I think Fort falls into that, um, in that he, he wasn't, he wasn't writing science fiction per se. He was just reporting on events and anomalies. Um, but it still found its way into influencing our fiction. Um, mm, definitely. Which, I mean, again, has come back to influence the real world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Whitley Strieber's understanding now of his experiences 
all those years ago has, has changed quite a bit since since it first happened to him. Yeah. Um, but that book, Communion, and that and you know and, that, and the cover with the classic grey face on it is has been massively influential in our understanding of things like UFOs and the abduction experience. It's it massively influenced things like the X Files, which which itself has hugely influenced creative understanding of of these ideas. Yeah. And more recently, we've had that news story that there was a an object had flown into our solar system, Oumuamua, and that's very, very similar to something that Arthur C. Clarke wrote with Rendezvous with Rama. Yeah, I, I just, I wish that this had have hit the editing bay a little later, or else I would have gotten a mention in there somewhere. <laughs> well, but, you can do a second edition, right? <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. Because uh, <laughs> they were thinking about naming it Rama. I right. Can't, I can't remember why they changed their minds. But it 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 look even the like design of it is remarkably similar to how Rama is described. Like you were just talking about, there does seem to be this interchangeable relationship between art and reality, uh, yeah. like a cyclical relationship, like you were describing. A little while ago, I had a a guest on a, a chap called Mike Cleland, and he mm. was talking about the idea of reified metaphor which is where ideas become they become real they you have a you have a creative idea and then it starts to emerge into into yeah. reality it's, it's something i just found really interesting yeah i mean i i think even another guest um you had on recently eric wargo hmm. um it's amazing to me how many of his examples are of like retro causation are, um, are fiction writers. <laughs> like something happens to them that sort of predestines them to write about it. Just kind of, kind of wild. The literature is the place where some of this stuff takes place. Hmm. Were there science fiction writers that you thought about including in your book that that kind of exemplify 14 ideas in their work that you just didn't have time to include or yeah absolutely um lionel fanthorpe was one that i wanted to cover um he was an english writer who wrote just an immense number of books uh, for I believe the press was called Badger Books. It was like hmm. um, pulpy paperbacks. And apparently Fort comes into play in a lot of those. I sort of mentioned him in a footnote, but if I'm being honest, I just could not afford any of his books. Uh, they're <laughs> extremely rare. Can't find PDFs anywhere. Um yeah, I I was kind of saddened by that, but he he does get a mention, but I I definitely wanted to look into him more. Mm, he did a TV show over here called Fourteen TV for a little while. It didn't run for very long, but it was great while it lasted. He's a he's an interesting guy. He's a, he's a reverend. Yeah, and so he he's got a really interesting life. He's uh, he's he's a true fourteen, I would say. So yeah, that's a good person to to include 
maybe further down the line you can do something with with that with him <laughs> oh yeah if i if i i mean even if i could just read some of those books i'd be excited uh apparently they're beyond like uh eric frank russell's sinister barrier they're probably the most clearly Fordian science fiction out there mm-hmm. in terms of like being directly uh related to Ford himself. Right, yeah. I do I do have a bit of his nonfiction, but uh that was easier to get. <laughs> <laughs> oh cool. And and right now what are you reading sci sci fi wise that's kind of along these lines that we've been talking about? Um, so I'm actually not reading sci-fi, but it is science fictional. I'm reading uh, Father Nettie's Chronovisor. Okay. I, uh, it's uh, it's about a supposed priest in, I think, the 1950s who made a time machine uh, that could see uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Um. My ne- my next project is going to be about um, sort of uh, supposedly true stories of uh, time travel, things like that. And this was a, a real guy that existed. Sorry, Father Netti. Father Netti, yeah, uh, he does exist. It's questionable whether he built a time machine or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, it sounds interesting, then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the author relates it to the experiences of Blavatsky and Strieber, so that's that's what got me hooked. Mm. So, for anyone out there that's interested in science fiction in general, what do you think are some of the key elements in a in a science fiction story that, to you, are Fortean? Um, so, I would say just um, having some example of 14 phenomena or rather the plot explains a 40 phenomena um so i'd take for example like clark's childhood's end they mm. use a ouija board um to discern uh to i can't remember what they're using it for but eventually the overlords realize that they actually found a way to tap into something, but they're using it wrong. Um, and I've <laughs> always found that sort of an interesting element. So um, basically anything that references forts, which are fewer than those that include Fortean phenomena or Fortean philosophy. It's much easier to find a book that um, presumes that humanity is the property of something than a book that references Charles Fort. But as as a starter, the book that kind of set me down this path was 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, which kind of includes a little bit of each element. Humanity being possibly owned, um, and there's elements of uh, abduction uh, experience in that book as well. Mm. Have you been watching a science fiction tv series called the expanse i haven't i keep getting it recommended to me though that's something I'm that i'm i'm watching right now and 14 ideas aren't key to it but it it has them sort of running most often in the background and then occasionally right in front of you like season four had a lot of 
Arthur C. Clarke-esque ideas going on in it. So yeah, I, I, I yeah. also recommend that show. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to ask you as like a uh, Trekkie, do you see your fandom of science fiction overlapping with your fandom of like the weird? At times, not consistently, but there are plenty of episodes that do. There's a, there's a brilliant episode of Star Trek Voyager called Blink of an Eye, where there's this planet that rotates really fast. So time passes more quickly for it than the rest of that part of the galaxy that it's in. And Voyager gets trapped in its atmosphere and becomes this sort of object that's forever in the night sky that inspires the people who live on the planet to form a society, basically. Yeah. And that's a great idea. That's something I think Star Trek is brilliant at doing. In 45 minutes, it takes a yeah. it takes a really interesting idea and condenses it down into like a little piece of drama. So I think it can kind of depend on who's writing the episode or who's running the series. But I would say that in general, Star Trek definitely embraces those ideas. Not consistently, but yeah, it definitely is is very open to them. I'm I'm currently uh, starting the original series. I'm trying to go chronologically. Oh, cool! Yeah. Well, you got you got plenty to work through, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, do you recommend chronologically, or is there another order I should go in? I think if that's how you started, that's absolutely fine. Um, however, however okay. you want to, it's you know you you don't have to. I mean, you could. I mean, maybe after the the original series, go to Enterprise in the Trek timeline that's set chronologically before the original series. So, but yeah, well, however, however you see fit, it'll be mostly enjoyable. <laughs> okay. Well, Tanner, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hope I didn't ramble too much. Oh, um, likewise. If people want to find out more about you and how to get a hold of your book, how best do they do that? Um, so you can get a copy at the publisher's website, mcfarland.com. It's called The 14 Influence on Science Fiction. Yeah, and it's also available on Amazon. Uh, if you want to review it, I'd be very happy about that. Brilliant. And you, do you have a like a website? Y- yeah, you can reach me uh, on Twitter at Tanner F. Boyle 1. Don't have an official website yet, but Twitter will do. Excellent. Well, I'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes. Alrighty. Thank you, Rick. Excellent. Thanks, Tanner. Something that I think becomes clear from my conversation with Tanner about his book is how deeply 14 ideas can permeate science fiction. Thinking further about Star Trek after we finish recording, I realise that franchise has consistently included those kinds of concepts in its storytelling across several different series and feature films. Furthermore, when you consider the genre of science fiction as a whole, the same is true. Fortean phenomena challenge the boundaries of accepted science, and the best science fiction stories explore those challenges too, I think. It's interesting that Charles Fort's ideas face criticism from the scientific mainstream, both in his own work and that of the authors whose writing he influenced. That's still the case to some extent, as materialist scientific thinking still predominates the mainstream media, 
But the good thing is there are so many fantastic Fortean writers and researchers out there. And I do think that we are headed towards Charles Fort's dominance of wider inclusions. That's all for now. Please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. Also sharing it on social media and following the show on Twitter. Really help it to grow and find new listeners. You can find some of the sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. And you can now also donate to the podcast via Ko-fi. There is a link for that in the show notes. As ever, some other sphere will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, be safe and well, and thank you very much for listening.